Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the part two of our Akranoplan series. Last time, we spoke about the big one, the Caspian monster, and we spoke about what it was armed with and what was the use of these Akranoplans. This time, we'll look at other technological developments by the Soviets in Akranoplan fields. I hope you actually have, you know, maybe Google something up or take a look at this, and I really hope that some aerial specialists or maybe some guys from the Navy will comment on these episodes. Because I consider this to be a cool subject, since, you know, we've looked at tanks, and we intend to look at rockets. Rockets are going to be super fun, I can tell you that already. But, yeah, the plans are one of the weirdest, yet most innovative things that the Soviets actually worked upon. Now, this time we'll be looking at other models, and uh, one of these more kind of popular ones was the Orlyonok, or Little Eagle. It was a troop transport assault Ekranoplan with a takeoff weight of 140 tons, or 309,000 pounds. It was capable of transporting a 20-ton, 44,000-pound cargo at a speed of 400 kilometers per hour, that is, 248 miles per hour, to a distance up to 1,500 kilometers, or 930 miles. This is where the data about the limitations come in, since, you know, if its traveling distance is 1,500 kilometers, it might cause some issues with transporting everything through the oceans. Three examples of the Orlyonok, or Project 904, were delivered to the Navy for evaluation. Their service career proved to be a far from an unqualified success. Normal operation was hampered, above all by circumstances of bureaucratic nature, as a lot of things in the Soviet Union. The Ekranoplans were operated by the Navy, yet due to the strange nature of the machines themselves, their crews had to include pilots from the Air Force, because in certain operational modes they had to be piloted like aircraft. However, neither the Air Force nor the Naval Aviation showed any enthusiasm for these machines and sought to prove in every possible way that they could not be regarded as flying machines, unabashed by the fact that provision was made for operating them also out of surface effect and there were plans for long-range ferrying flights at high altitude. Yielding to this pressure, the Navy top brass then decided that Ekranoplan craft should be classed as ships with aircraft-like properties. In turn, the Central Hydrofoil Design Bureau clearly underestimated the aviation aspect of the matter, 
and thus had failed to consult the Air Force on the methods of testing which gave rise to justifiable complaints. Arrangements required to facilitate operational use of the machines delivered to the Navy suffered setbacks and were, you know, prone to delays. Series production of Ekranoplan craft for the Navy was expected to amount to several dozens of examples, but these plans failed to materialize. Introduction of new types of weaponry in the USSR, following a pattern common to many countries, depended heavily on lobbying on the part of this or that person in the top echelon. Like I said in the computing episode, the conflicts were really rife in every aspect, and remember that we have not one bureau, we have just this bigger one, but then a lot of other people from other construction bureaus also came in, and although this whole Soviet state was built on workers cooperating, this clearly wasn't the case, and they often fought each other. Bureaucracy was one of the worst qualities of all the Soviet system. The Soviet Minister of Defense, Marshal of the Soviet Union, Dmitry Ushchinov, whom I actually have mentioned in a couple of other episodes on tanks, so that's not a new face here, influenced by the newly appointed Commander-in-Chief of the Navy, Chernavian, ordered that all the funds available to the Navy be used for the construction of submarines. A crash suffered in 1992 by one of the Orlyonok machines was hardly conductive to improving the atmosphere around their integration into the armed forces. This was further aggravated by the transfer of the Ekranoplan machines from ordinary naval units to the naval aviation. Airmen were not overly enthusiastic about the new hardware. Deprived of the necessary attention and supplies, the base where the Ekranoplans were stationed began to fall into the decay. Eventually, the three surviving machines, two Orlyonoks and the one Loon, were struck of charge on the pretext of difficulties associated with maintenance and repairs. That marked, for the time being, the end of operational use of transport and combat ekranoplans in the Russian Navy. There is an episode in the story of the Orlyonok which eloquently bears witness to the character of both the machine and its creator, Rostislav Alekseyev. During one of the test flights, Alekseyev was on board himself. The pilot, who had little experience with this type of vehicles, impacted the machine heavily right on the crest of a wave. The crew did not grasp the situation. Only Alekseyev, who had taken a look from the upper hatch, knew what actually had happened. Without a word, he took over the controls, gave full throttle to nose-mounted booster engines, and steered the machine to its base, which was situated 40 kilometers or 25 miles away. Only then could the crew take a look at the machine. They were stunned by the sight. The vehicle had lost its tail. The rear fuselage, complete with the tail unit and main engine, had simply broken off on impact and sunk. The fact that the Orlyonok still made it safely back to the base bore witness both to the designer's presence of mind and to the machine's qualities. However, this episode placed a welcome tool in the hands of Alekseyev's detractors and those who weren't intent on closing down the work on Ekranoplan vehicles. The episode was followed by mm, various repercussions, obviously. Administrative measures, as they were called in the Soviet Union, which boiled down to victimizing the designer. He was deprived of the possibility to make full use of his creative potential, which affected very adversely the development of the Ekranoplans and their construction in the Soviet Union and even present-day Russia. An important stage in the activities of the Central Hydrofall Design Bureau was marked the creation of the Loon, the Hen Harrier, a 400-ton missile carrier armed with Mosquite anti-shipping missiles. That's apparently the big beast, but like I said in the previous part, that's a weird thing, because some sources declare that the Caspian monster was the KM, others say it was the Loon. 
But I kind of believe Sergei Komisarov and his source when, when he says that the Caspian monster was actually the loon. This thing was launched in 1987. Construction of a second example of this machine was envisaged, but the collapse of the Soviet Union drastically affected the program. The second example, already under construction, was to be completed as a search and rescue machine. Accordingly, conversion work was started. Progress reports appeared in the press as late as 1994, but this project, too, stranded for a long time due to, well, all the political and economic reasons of the early 90s in the Soviet Union, was, uh, quite ditched. Now, some sources declare that, quite recently, as of 2005, the conversion work has resumed and hopefully has a prospect of successful completion, which would result in creating an unorthodox and highly effective maritime search and rescue vehicle. But it's 2021 now, and uh, these news was from 2005, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is going anywhere. Which honestly is a shame. I would like to see more of these types of vehicles anywhere. Our man himself, Rostislav Alexeyev, died in 1980. Earlier, after the crash of the prototype Orlyonok, he had to relinquish the post of the chief of the Central Design Bureau of Hydrofoils, and then of chief designer. For many years, the design bureau was led by one Ikonnikov, later by Shobikov. And uh, again, as of 2005, this organization was headed by General Director I.M. Vasilevsky. The Central Hydrofoil Design Bureau, now named after Alexeyev and transformed into a joint stock company, continues to actively pursue the designing of ekranoplans. The emphasis had been shifted to machines intended for commercial uses. Among these, such machines as the Volga 2 8-passenger ekranoplan and the series of Strij Swift, the bird thing. Ekranoplans, yeah, these have fairly good prospects for service introduction, but again, that was of 2005, and their current fate as of 2021 remains quite unclear. I highly doubt that they moved off of the production stage or prototype stage, since, well, be, I'd be able to tell you about these mighty new machines entering things, but, well, to be fair, back in the early 2000s, this stuff really looked good, but now I have to say that the United States and South Korea and Singapore are experimenting with their own things, although some people view them quite skeptically, sadly. And as then, the design bureau was engaged in developing a whole range of different machines, including heavy, seagoing transport ekranoplans. Some of the projects were being developed with a view to foreign markets, and, well, there were some partnership schemes with investors from abroad. But again, whole sanctions in Ukraine affair have probably put up at least a massive pause on this. However, the Central Hydrofoil Design Bureau in Nizhny Novgorod has retained its position as Russia's leading developer of heavy seagoing ekranoplans. But it's not a monopolist in the field. In the course of the last four decades, and especially the last two decades, questions of ekranoplan research and practical design have been dealt with by quite a number of organizations, big and small, including design bureaus, scientific institutions, commercial firms, student design teams even, and individual enthusiasts. And, you know, maybe it's just kind of fair if we look at some of them. Ekranoplan vehicles have occupied important place in the activities of Robert Ludvigovich Bartini a well-known Soviet aircraft designer who made a significant contribution to evolving the theory of dynamic air cushion vehicles and prepared a number of designs which failed to reach the hardware stage, with the exception of the 14M1P. At a certain stage in his career, Bartini continued his activities within the framework of Georgi Mikhailovich Beriev's design bureau, now the Tagandrog Aviation Scientific and Technical Complex. This is where his 14M1P was built. 
Also, other bereaved engineers and design teams were engaged in Ekranoplan design. In 1965, they designed and built the BE-1 experimental Ekranoplan. During the last decade, engineers of the Taganrog firm have been working with designs of large, even gigantic, vehicles of this type combining the features of an Ekranoplan and a traditional amphibious flying boat. Also, it uh, kind of needs to be noted that Taganrog is considered among the most depressing cities ever in Russia. It's even been a part of, you know, Russia's rip-off series from Little Britain. It's a show that existed a while ago, and um, they made a rip-off of Little Britain called it Nasha Russia. Yeah, and there, Taganrog is represented with a nice little worker guy who sits in front of his telly and, uh, well, comments on it, and that's where the humor comes from, accompanied by various signs of, hey, you know, how everything is pretty bad and very default factory city of Russia, being Taganrog. However, I think that, you know, if they actually succeeded building more commercial plants, you know, that'd be nice, because, for one, I like technological assignments. Another big design bureau right now is the Sohoi Design Bureau. And if you've heard the word Sohoi, then you know that they're tied to a lot of fighter planes and jets and whatnot. These guys have been cooperating with the Central Hydrofall Design, and they've just developed several Akronoplan projects, such as the S-90, S-98, and the S-90-200. Then there's the Krylov Shipbuilding Research Institute in St. Petersburg, who have recently been actively engaged in theoretical studies, and to some extent practical designs of Akronoplans. It acquired a branch in Nizhny Novgorod as well, and that city is the place of activity for a number of small firms established in the early 90s. These include the Technology and Transport Joint Stock Society, now renamed Amphibious Transport Technologies, which has developed the Amphistar passenger Ekranoplan speedboat. Amphicon, a Russian acronym meaning Amphigenie Konstrukci, Amphibious Designs, and there's Transal, an abbreviation of Transport Alexeyev, Alexeyev's Transport. In Moscow, the Rox Aero company was working with the Ekranoplan designs in the early 1990s. Kometel company is active there at the present. In the course of the recent decades from the 1960s onwards, a whole series of flight Ekranoplan vehicles was designed and built by young designers working with enthusiast designer groups, or so-called student design bureaus, that had been established at a number of aviation institutes and colleges. Now, obviously, in this light of new technology, we kind of have to give, you know, props to them as well. Hello there, thank you for tuning in into another episode of the Eastern Border. We are so happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by our friends at rusansov.com. If you're looking to buy new art, don't forget to use the code EASTERNBORDER for a discount on us. Remember, head over to rusansov.com and happy shopping! If, however, you want to support our show directly, head over to patreon.com or our website theeasternborder.lv to find out how you can help out. For all things Eastern Border, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Discord. And, as always, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate each and every one of you. That's all from me now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here, the most important ones are SLTST. Yeah, I know it's a lot of uh, uncle letters, but it stands for Centralnaya Laboratoria Spasacilnaya Techniki, or Central Laboratory for Research and Rescue Technology. And that is the MVTU, Moskovskoye Vyshe Technistskoye Ochilishe, Moscow Higher Technical College. And that is MIGA, Moskovsky Institute Engineernoye Grozdanskoye Aviacioye, Moscow Institute of Civil Aviation Engineers. And that is MAI, Moskovsky Aviacionny Institute or Moscow Aviation Institute. And then there's my favorite guys, out of which, well, you know, it's kind of cool and still operating here. It's RKIIGA, or Rizhsky Krasnoziemonny Institute Engineernoye Grozdanskoye Aviacioye. Now it's just called Riga Aviation Institute. But previously we bore the name of Riga Red Banner Institute of Civil Aviation Engineers. Yeah, now it's just Civil Aviation Engineer or, or Transportation and Communications Institute. They still exist. But again, the author here gave me the old name, and I'm really happy that, hey, we actually had uh, innovative stuff happening here. Those are the kind of the biggest ones who delve into this, but if you look at this, then you kind of have to ask, what are the general trends now and prospects in the activity of Russian organizations in the field of economic plans and production at present? Because, you know, they sound scary, and some, something called Caspian Sea Monster and all that stuff might be a bit uh, intimidating for the average end user, so to speak. Well, now. As to military applications, it would appear that the need for ekranoplans in the armed forces of Russia has actually fallen dramatically. One of the reasons for this is presumably the radical change in the world situation as compared to the Soviet period. And again, this was written in the early 2000s, so take it with a grain of salt, but I'm just gonna give you a quote here. The confrontation between social systems and military alliances has given way to partnership and cooperation between Russia and the West, entailing a revision of the scope and character of Russian military programs. Another factor is the marked worsening of the economic situation in Russia in the 1990s. Budgetary limitations drastically reduced the resources that could be used by the armed forces for funding the development and acquisition of new military hardware. Publications in the popular press generally avoid the subject of possible plans for resurrection of plans intended for military applications. In the very early 2000s, the well-informed weekly Nezavisimoye Vojennoye Obozrinye, Independent Military Review, carried a small article which, with reference to Chief of the Navy Headquarters Admiral Viktor Kravchenko, briefly charted plans for the development of the Navy after the year of 2010, which is by now 11 years in the past. Only traditional ships were listed for acquisition, while Ekrana plans were mentioned only as potential export articles. Oh, how the world has changed. I mean... You look at this, and this is kind of a relatively new book, and it's all about this potential of the future. And yeah, if you if you look at this now, I mean, back in the early 2000s, when we joined the EU in 2004, it really looked like we could all like live together in a nicer world. No one really could predict how the world would turn out 
bit. Haven't really seen anything planning for everything getting worse. Now I read this and it sounds like wishful thinking for a better future that never really arrived. We still have the potential to, you know, make something work eventually. But sadly, we have bigger problems at this point. However, it's nice to know that at least from the Russian perspective in the early 2000s, there were people and engineers and, and people in all aspects of life that truly looked to the future and to the West not as kind of enemies, but as partners. And back then, the press was more free and a lot of people had, you know, these ideal views of the world and a lot of them wanted to cooperate and work with, with others. And that's kind of nice. But yeah. Now, in these whole circumstances, back in early 2000s, design bureaus engaged in chronoplan design were compelled to the stake on designing machines intended for commercial application. The prospects of commercial use of chronoplans, however, were unclear at that point. But right now, right now, we're looking some sort of a small resurgence. Another author notes that, quote, to win a secure place in the world transport system, the new means of transportation has to overcome many obstacles. The competition between a chronoplan craft and traditional means of transport, aircraft and ships, can take the form of covert opposition from certain quarters to introduction of, well, a chronoplans on lucrative sea routes. However, the main thing is the objective factor, namely the ability of a chronoplans to demonstrate economic advantages over traditional air and sea transport. Here, Ekranoplans have on the credit side their far superior speeds as compared to displacement vehicles and greater load carrying capacity per unit of engine power of thrust as compared to aircraft. Research on transport economics undertaken by a number of organizations in Russia and in the West revealed a niche which could be filled by Ekranoplans. It is passenger and cargo transportation on transoceanic trunk routes, as well as transport communications between islands in an archipelago and between islands in the mainland. Chronoplans are presumed to have no need for a pier, as distinct from ships, or an airfield, as distinct from aircraft. This is important since it's uneconomical to build a seaport or an airport in areas with low traffic intensity. In practice, the economic efficiency of a chronoplan craft has not yet established itself as something indisputable. One of the factors affecting it is the relatively low payload to all-up weight ratio on the first-generation military chronoplans built to date, which was due in part to the use of shipbuilding rather than aircraft technologies in construction. Because it may, at the end of 1980s and the beginning of 1990s, the Russian design bureaus specializing in acronoplans set about designing machines intended for commercial application both at home and abroad. In 1993, designer Sokolov, a disciple of Alexeyev, voiced an optimistic opinion. Quote, Research done by specialized institutes show that the expected high productivity of acronoplans, leading to their profitability, fully meets the demands of potential buyers and the trends in development of transport systems, therefore, commercial chronoplans can become reality already in the nearest future. Sadly, there was no prospect of obtaining the necessary funding from the state budget, so the design bureaus and companies in question pinned their hopes on establishing cooperation with foreign partners, which were expected to make the necessary investments. International cooperation was expected to provide the basis not only for the introduction of chronoplans into cargo and passenger transportation, but also for the employment of this new means of transport and systems for aerial launch of space shuttles, international maritime search and rescue systems, etc. These plans and intentions had, generally speaking, a certain realistic foundation. Russia is universally recognized, at 2005 at least, to have far outstripped other countries in design and construction of chronoplans, especially large seagoing craft. A noteworthy comment on this score was made by Vladimir Kirolovich, chief designer on the Central Hydrofoil Design Bureau. In December 2001, he said in an interview to a Russian magazine that Russia was some 20 years ahead of other countries as far as the technology of these chronoplan construction vehicles was concerned. There are many amphibious craft in the world today, but all of them are unsuitable for use at sea, said he. 
Nowadays, only Russia is in position of technology required for the construction of precisely the seagoing ekranoplans. However, here I would like to take you to, well, the current era. I will bring up an article from autocar.co.uk, an opinion piece by Matt Fryer, which was presented in the 2nd of July this year, that is 2021. And he basically criticizes the idea of modern-day ekranoplans. It's kind of a, an interesting piece, but one that should be mentioned, because, well, look, ekranoplans have a future, I think, but do they, and are they more efficient, and what's happening here? Brittany Ferries, apparently, is looking into a ground-effect concept on the ekranoplan, basically, that would have this battery-electric sea glider, which is a cool name for an ekranoplan, carrying 50 to 150 people across the channel by 2028. Also, Regent, a United States startup behind the technology, reckons the sea glider could do up to 180 miles per hour, thus taking it from, say, as he puts it, from Portsmouth to Cherbourg as in little as 40 minutes. Now, I've no idea where Portsmouth and Cherbourg are, but I'm pretty sure my British listeners will kind of do this. Now, obviously, this is kind of nice because the author recognizes the fact that all of this is ekranoplans. Because, well... This is one Soviet name that really did stack on. He kind of mentions that people should watch on documentaries and whatever, and that they're worth it. Because this is kind of cool. And, well, I'm doing that now, so hey, you can skip on those. The author explains that this is a bit like a skirtless hovercraft, but, well, obviously that's not the case, because those are two different principles. And he criticizes the very idea of a chronoplans as such. Quote, but the reason we can't board one at Dover already is that they weren't without issue when the Soviets tried them, so I doubt they will be now. He states that even once you beat the obstacle of introducing intricate corrosive mechanicals to salt, a chronoplans dislike choppy seas and launching what's effectively an aircraft that can't change altitude into the busiest shipping lane in the world at nearly 200 miles per hour will take some forethought. Again, well, apparently Russians have claimed that they are quite well informed about how to launch them at sea. Then again, if you look at the Caspian Sea monster, you might have your doubts which is reasonable to assume. However, well, yeah, corrosion in salt water is a big issue. I mean, I used to work at a, as a repair technician and we had some guys dropping drones into the sea. And let me tell you, if you drop your drone and technology piece into a kind of standard water, then it's a one type of damage control. If you dunk something into the sea really good, then, uh, then it's a bit of a more of a fuss, so to speak. And interestingly enough, another quote. And if you think this sounds just like the sort of wheeze a company might come up with when it wants its name and logo emblazoned across the media just as people consider booking a driving holiday, I think that's an incredibly cynical outlook. And by the way, have you noticed that Brittany Ferries is offering car ferry crossings for as little as 180 pounds in late August, when Brest and Giverny will be particularly picturesque? But it's interesting. Because, you know, the author there, just as me, is interested by the fact that we're thinking about different ways to get around. Author states, when I was a kid, you could take a hovercraft to France and a Concorde to the United States, but now you can do neither. So the sea glider proposal and the fact that United Airlines recently agreed to buy supersonic airliners really are reasons to be excited. But as the author points out, quote, my only beef is staying realistic about what the emperor is wearing. See, last month, that is June, Norway's former environment minister Erik Solheim tweeted about China's autonomous electric train that doesn't need additional tracks, saying it was incredible, it can go anywhere. And the author then snaps at it, saying that Erik, mate, they've invented a bus. And Airspeed recently launched the world's first flying racing car. 
which isn't a term the Air Accidents Investigation Branch used when reporting on how, at Godwood in 2019, one of the firm's unmanned prototypes climbed out of control to 8,000 feet into Gatwick's holding pattern airspace before crashing 40 meters from horses and chickens. Chickchester. Chickester? Oh, sorry, British people. Small town names is something to behold, even for me, you know. So, the author then compares the fact that, well, will this really replace the humble car? What will be the fate of this newfangled econoplan? And really, what can we see in the future about all this mess? I mean, it is an interesting piece of new transportation, and something that, you know, a lot of people have criticized me for not mentioning the good sides of the Soviet Union enough. And I'm here doing just that, because, hey, you gotta give credit where credit is due, and this, truly, in my opinion, is one of the projects now, the Soviets outdid themselves, and Alexeyev is a genius of a man. So, why not, really? And to end on a positive note, an article from 2018, again, July 31st, because apparently July 31st is an important date in Ekranoplan research and history, this one by the Barents Observer, and by the author Thomas Nilsson. The thing is, this is about how the Russians are possibly thinking about a new version of the mighty Caspian Sea Monster. We might see a new one. This time it could probably be called the Barents Sea Monster. He writes that a more modern version, named Orlan, is now, well, apparently, to reference to the old Arlionok, is now included to be developed under the 2018-2027 State Department program. First, a prototype craft armed with missiles will be built, which was told by Deputy Prime Minister Yuri Borisov at the time by TASS on Monday. Quote, the State Armament Program for 2018-2027 includes the Orland Research and Development Work, which stipulates the construction of the wing and ground effect craft. The prototype will be created as part of this armament program at Vulcari Missile Armament, Yuri Borisov stated. The craft will be used to protect the Northern Sea Route, where infrastructure today is weakly protected. And this is kind of cool. TASS reported in 2015 that the Navy expected to get a standardized ground plant with a lifting capacity up to 300 tons by 2020. Haven't really heard of that. But hey, that'd be pretty cool. This craft could also serve patrol, transport, and search and rescue duties. And, obviously, this conceptual designing and development work for this new Orlan, carried out by the Central Design Bureau for now-named Alexeyev Central Hydrofill Company. Hey, that's a pretty nifty thing, and maybe, maybe one day we'll be able to take this new, better, and quite possibly a lot cheaper option of traveling all over across the pond, and maybe we can manage even more. I like the new technologies, I like innovative ideas, I just think that improvements need to be made, and there's something that we need to strive for. I mean, building faster planes is cool, but building this whole new type of transportation is also an interesting matter. Which is why I'm so excited that I'm able to bring you the story of Ekranoplan. Oh, and if you haven't listened to it, Check out my social media, Facebook and Twitter, because uh, there has been made a hard bass electronic music song about the Kranoplans, where you can see a Kranoplan basically being depicted as a standard Gopnik, which is, well, quite cool, to be fair. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this two-parter about one of the coolest innovative technologies the Soviets had to offer, and a glimpse into the future of the Kranoplans in general. We'll be back with more historical episodes soon, but so far, well... Consider becoming our patron, go visit our homepage, theeasternboard.lv, and uh, thank you for listening. Always remember, happiness is mandatory, 
До свидания, товарищи. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.